We are very encouraged to hear what God is doing through City Life to change lives. If you have a story to share of how City Life has impacted you, please let us know at story at citylifefw.org. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We are all about making Jesus known. We pray that these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Many of you have heard this statement, and I've heard it as well. It's like, well, isn't it arrogant to say that your religion is superior and then try to convert everybody else to it? Um, or maybe this statement of like, surely all religions are equally good to meet the needs of their followers. I've heard, uh, I've heard it said that uh, religion and religious exclusivity is narrow and it's dangerous because religion has uh, really brought about untold strife and division and conflict around the world. I've even heard it said that if Christians continue to insist they have the truth, and if other religions do this as well, then there will never be peace on earth. See, it's, it's widely believed that I would say one of the greatest barriers to world peace is religion. And especially when a religion says it is the right way. So today, I'm going to deal with this. And this is a tense topic, but I want you to inhale and relax. All right. But we're going to deal with the tension of it. But uh, when I do messages like this, I like to deal with the tension of it from a variety of different perspectives. I, I will use the sociological perspective. I'll use the philosophical perspective, as well as the perspective of religion as a whole uh, around the world, and, and from biblical spiritual perspectives. So what I'm asking you to do is just listen carefully, open your heart as I attempt to explain my position today. Now, this is, this is important because I believe this. Religion, generally speaking, religion, generally speaking, tends to create a slippery slope in the hearts of people because each religion informs its followers that they have the truth. And this can lead to feelings of superiority over people who have differing beliefs. Now, uh, when those feelings of superiority take over, well, that's actually where the problems begin. Uh, what, what follows after that is uh, when a person begins to embrace religious superiority is they begin to separate themselves from people who are maybe less devoted or less pure in their religious life. And then it escalates to a stereotyping and even a, a, a caricature creation of, of, of what those, those religions are like. And, and, and in this environment, what happens is religions tend to marginalize each other, even to the extent of, of active um, oppression. We're talking abuse and even violence against them. And the truth is, it is happening all over the world. It is largely unreported by the mainstream media. But it is a huge, very real, big problem. The targets of it most often is actually the Jewish and the Christian faiths worldwide. I will also admit, I have no trouble admitting truth, I will admit that it does happen in the name of Christianity also, and it has. Uh, I would say it's most, uh, most evident historical um, uh, incidents of this was, was over a long period of time known as the Crusades, back in the Middle Ages. So 
when people see religion basically eroding peace in the earth, across cultures, people just want to do something about it. That's a natural response. Over the past 100 years or so, there have been three basic methods of what I call control. And it's control that, um, that governmental and cultural influencers have used to address this, uh, this divisiveness of religion that, uh, that, they, that they see in the culture. And so I want to talk about these. I'm going to talk about these from an honest standpoint. The first one is, you know, you want to know how to control religion? Well, this is how it's tried. The first one is to outlaw religion, just flat out outlaw it. Uh, that happened really about 75 years ago. This, this was happening in several different places around the world. Massive, massive attempts to outlaw religion. Primarily occurred under uh, communist governments and not governments what they did is they tried to stop religion from dividing society and from eroding the power of the central government but the result history already has shown us this was not peace nor harmony you know where those those governments are practiced today it, there is no peace and harmony because the result is always greater oppression author Alistair McGrath, he wrote these words in his history of 20th century atheism. It's good. Atheist. See what he has to say. He says, The 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history. Yeah, you should tell your friends, Pastor Tim quotes atheists and agrees with them. Because I am. All right. The 20th century gave rise to one of the greatest and most distressing paradoxes of human history that the greatest intolerance and violence of that century were practiced by those who believed that religion caused intolerance and violence. Outlawing religion doesn't work. See, these people actually believe that by the end of the 20th century, which is done now, that religion would actually become ancient history. And in spite of their attempts today, virtually all major religions are growing in their number of adherents. Christianity's growth, especially in the developing world, I'm telling you guys, it's explosive. Let me just give you a little statistic or two or three or four here. Do you realize that, that, um, that there are now six times more Christian Anglicans in Nigeria alone than in all the United States? <laughs> what about the Presbyterians? Well, there are more Presbyterians in the single little nation of Ghana than in the United States and Scotland combined. Korea? They have gone from 1% to 40% Christian in 100 years. And the experts are actually saying the same thing is going on in China. It is believed that within 40 years, there will be half a billion Chinese Christians. And if that happens, it will literally change the course of human history. See, the cool thing about this, though, is that the form of Christianity that's growing and growing rapidly isn't the uh, more secularized, dry, um, let's call it belief-barren versions that were predicted by the sociologists. Rather, what it is is this robust, supernatural type of faith with belief in miracles, belief in the authority of the scriptures, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and personal conviction. Basically, Bible-based, Jesus-focused churches. So right now, it is a historic fact that outlawing religion only makes it 
stronger. Well, that doesn't work. Another method of controlling religion that's widely used today is to condemn religion. And this is where a lot of this is what a lot of us experience. Most of us have never experienced the outlawing of religion. But this is where culture makers basically they socially discourage religions that uh, that claim to have the truth. What it is is this attempt to pressure citizens to admit that. Uh, their religion is just one of many equally valid paths to God. And this approach uh, basically seeks to make a person feel, um, let's say, unenlightened or, or even outrageous if they make exclusive religious claims. And here's how it works. It works by stating and restating certain phrases over and over and over and over. And they eventually just catch on and they become like the status of, well, this is just common sense because I kind of know the statement. And if you deviate from one of these uh, uh, statements, you're basically stigmatized as foolish or even dangerous. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you this. This is where I'm educating you. At the heart of this I believe there's a fatal inconsistency, and I believe there's also hypocrisy. I want to deal with some of the statements. Just well, we're, I've told, I told them when they put the statements up, to leave them up so you can kind of use them as a reference point. But one of the common assertions is this, is that all major religions are equally valid and basically teach the same thing. Now, think about it. I'll just say right yet, I've not yet used a scripture in this message. I'm not going to for a while, because we're going to just use, we're actually going to use the world's methods to deal with our own issues. Trust me, there's going to be plenty of scripture later, okay? You know me. Come on, you know me. All right. Do we really believe that religions that require uh, child sacrifice, the murder of the innocent, are not inferior? <laughs> now, a lot of the people who, who put this out, so they, they also say that, well, the doctrinal differences, the doctrine is basically what you believe about God, the doctrinal differences between Judaism, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, and Hinduism, they say that really those differences are just superficial because we're all believing in the same God. You've heard that. But what you have to do is then ask the person, well, then what is God? And most likely they're going to say, well, it's this loving spirit in the universe. Well, that's where you have to stop them because you have to say, well, that's inconsistent because you're insisting that doctrine is unimportant, but at the same time, you are assuming that the doctrinal beliefs about the nature of God and all these religions are the same. So, wait, <laughs> this actually shows a complete ignorance of the religions themselves because Buddhism doesn't believe in a personal God. In fact, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity believe in a God who holds people accountable for their beliefs and practices, but those attributes cannot just be reduced down to he's a loving spirit. And ironically, their insistence that doctrines really don't matter has actually become a doctrine itself. Because what is a doctrine? It actually holds a specific view of God. And, it's, and what they do is they tout their specific view of God as superior and more enlightened than the beliefs of the major religions. That, my friend, is a problem. So the proponents of this view, they're actually doing the very same thing that they forbid in others. In Christianity, we call that hypocrisy. Here's another common assertion that's out there. You guys have dealt with this and heard this. It's like, well, each religion just sees part of the spiritual truth, and no one can see the whole truth. 
Nice statement. It's quoted a lot. And really, uh, this particular statement is, is illustrated by the three blind men who stumble upon an elephant trying to figure out who it is. You know, one of them goes up to the elephant and says, oh, this, is a, this, this creature is long and flexible like a snake. You know, what he does is he's holding the elephant's trunk. And another one says, no, 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 it's, it's, like, it's like big and thick and round like a tree trunk as he's around the elephant's leg. And he better move out of the way pretty quick or he's going to get stepped on. And then there's the third man who's, who's touching the side of the elephant. He goes, no, it's just large and flat. See, none of these... One of these guys, you know, they, they use this illustration. None of these can, uh, can really envision the entire elephant because they can only experience a part. And they say that in the same way, religions around the world, uh, they have grasps on part of spiritual truth, but no one can actually see the whole elephant. And so nobody can really have a comprehensive vision of what truth is. That's what's put out there. Well, I'm just telling you guys, that's a horrible illustration because we're, like, you guys are smart people here that backfires on its users. See, this story is told from the point of view of someone who is not blind. So how could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the elephant as a whole? How can you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself are superior and you have this comprehensive knowledge of all spiritual reality, which you just claimed that no religion has, huh? It falls apart. Well, let's nix that one. Here's another one, and, and uh, this talks about really a cultural issue. It just says it's arrogant, and it comes to the whole issue of arrogance. It's arrogant to say that your religion is right and then try to convince others to it. Well, this again is a contradiction because most people in the world do not hold this view because this view is actually cultural in nature. Now, follow me here. Most non-Western uh, nations most non-Western cultures in general, they're going to say, which is the vast majority of the world, they have no trouble saying that their culture, their way of doing things, their thought processes, or their religion is best. So really, this assertion comes out of Western culture, and it says the Western culture's approach to other cultures is superior. And they are actually doing the very same thing that they forbid others to do. So truthfully, Honestly, think about it. A religion can only be it can only be judged on the basis of another religion, right? It can it has to. You always have to have something to compare. You can't evaluate a religion except on the basis of, of like some type of ethical criteria. Uh, and even if it amounts to your own uh, something else you came up in your head, but regardless, it is still you're still declaring a religious position or stance. Now, skeptics, they believe that any exclusive claims to the knowledge of spiritual reality, it, it just can't be true. But this objection, like, in itself is a religious belief because it assumes that God is unknowable and that God is loving but not wrathful and that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks to us. They have defined God. That is theology. That is their own doctrine. They've created a doctrine. See, and so what's, what's even more unbelievable is, is that these are, which honestly, these are faith positions. These are faith positions, and, and they believe that the world would be a better place if everyone just dropped their traditional religious views of God and adopted their view of God, you see? 
And I'm just telling you, that is actually a very um, extremely exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. Because if all views of God in this way are to be discouraged, then we have to discourage their view of God as well. Bottom line, the truth is, let's just be real, we are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion, except in different ways, everywhere. So really, condemning religion doesn't work when you really think it through, what's being said. And, and, uh, and the, fourth, the third area is to privatize religion. And uh, this is something that's been going on as well. So, so in order to curb the divisiveness of religion, uh, people are told that, well, they just need to privately believe that faith is true. And, but you need to keep your religious beliefs out of the public sphere. You guys know about that. You deal with that. Now, some may say, well, we may not argue for a moral position at all. We're not supposed to do so unless it only has a secular, uh, non-religious foundation. And that's what's put out there quite a bit. The common assertion is this. It says religion should be kept completely private and out of public life. There's a lot of momentum with that today. But the argument is this, is that religious faith can't be brought into discussions about public policy. Um, they say that we should never reference any type of divine revelation or religious tradition when we're coming together to answer the challenges of society. Instead, they just said, well, let's just drop all of that and let's just work together on the great problems of our time. You know, HIV, AIDS, and poverty, education, racism, and very real issues. But I'm also, we just have to look at this again with intelligence and say it's impossible to leave your religious views behind. You can't do it if you have any kind of moral reasoning. You, it, it's not possible. Because first of all, you have to actually say, okay, then what is religion? Well, some will say, well, religion is some form of believing in God. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit Zen Buddhism because they don't believe in a God at all. <laughs> some say, well, religion is belief in the supernatural. Well, I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit into Hinduism because they don't believe in the supernatural realm beyond the material world. So then what is religion? Well, actually, there is a definition for religion that works. And it works everywhere. And it's this. is religion as a whole. It's a set of beliefs that explain what life is about, who we are, and the most important things that human beings should spend their time doing. That's really the best definition of religion. So they say that religion is a private matter and it should only be private. And yet the people who are saying this are still bringing their um, their implicit form of religion into the public arena. I'm saying, it, it, no, it's not necessarily an explicit organized religion, but, but everyone has a master narrative about their account of the meaning of life and, and, and how they recommend how you should live and, and based upon that meaning of life. And I'm telling you guys, that is the definition of religion. So anyone who says this, listen, anyone who says, well, you're not allowed to do this and you are allowed to do that, they are reasoning that out of an implicit moral and religious position, bottom line. Yeah. Let me give you evidence. Let me show you how it works. There's going to be two characters I'm going to introduce to you. They're not going to be up here on the stage. I'm just going to act them out. All right. There's Mr. Jones. Hey, I'm Mr. Jones. All right. And then there is, there's just going to be this, this little lady, and her name is Miss Adams. Hi, Miss Adams. All right, so, so here are the two, the two people. The little voices help you a little bit to uh, distinguish between them. You know, Mr. Jones, 
he's sitting in a meeting here in the city, and he's saying, well, I believe that we should just remove all the safety nets from uh, the poor. We should do this in the name of survival of the fittest. Miss Adams, she's going to go, but the poor, they have a right for a decent standard of living. I mean, they're human beings. Mr. Jones would come back and retort, and he would say, well, bioethicists think that the concept of human is artificial, and it's actually impossible to define. So he'll go on to say, you know, some say that, really, I'll say, and I would say everybody should say, that living organisms, they have to die so that others can live. It's simply how nature works. Basically saying that letting the poor die would be more efficient. Well, at this point, Miss Adams, she is infuriated with all this. And she responds heatedly, starving the poor is unethical. Mr. Jones calmly says, well, who says ethics are the same for everyone? Miss Adams will finally just frustrated and sit herself down and say, well, I don't want to live in a society like you're describing. You see, in this interchange of exchange of ideas here, Miss Adams, she was trying to find non-religious arguments that would convince anyone that you shouldn't starve the poor. But she failed to get her point across, and she lost the argument. Why? Because there are none. Because in the end, she affirms the equality and the dignity of all human individuals because she simply believes it to be true. But that concept is only found in one place. I'll say, that concept is only found in one place. It's called the Bible. So, so, so she might even be an atheist, but she's taken an article of Christian faith and dropping it into society, basically saying that people are more valuable than rocks and trees. But you can't prove it scientifically. Therefore, that has to stay out of the public arena. Wow. You see, her public policy proposals are ultimately based upon a Christian religious stance. Bottom line, it is. Guys, leaving our faith out of the public square is not possible because no one can really leave their convictions and their values behind when they talk about how to deal with society's challenges. So, so, so the attempts to control religion and thus bring peace on earth, none of them actually work. So here's the next question. Well, then, can Christianity save the world? <laughs> well, Within true Bible-based, Jesus-focused Christianity, there are some rich resources that make the followers of Jesus agents for change and agents for peace in this world. See, Christianity has, um, really within itself, it has this huge, remarkable power to drive out the divisive tendencies of the human heart. And that power is called the Holy Spirit, which lives in us. See, Christianity provides a firm foundation for respecting people even of other faiths. Did you know that? Yes, you did. Why? It's because our belief system calls on us to respect all people. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 16. This is good. You should have this marked in your Bibles. 
This was written to Romans, Rome, the heart of civilization, the latest, the greatest, everything. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Actually, that's one of the most freeing statements in the scriptures. You don't have to get revenge. God takes care of it all in the end. You can move on with life. Hey, that's nice. See, on the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, wait, 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 if your enemy is hungry, yeah, that's what Christianity says. If your enemy is hungry, then you feed him. If your enemy, the person you don't like who hates you, your hater, <laughs> if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you're going to heat burning coals on his head. Now, now, please don't get excited. It's like, yes, 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 I'm going to burn his brains out. No, that's not what that meant, okay? After you have to go back, you know, a couple thousand years, that was actually a way that they would warm people by putting coals on them. So please don't, it's not, it's not what you think. Like, ha, 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 Some of you see yourself going and getting a shovel out of the fireplace and dumping it on a person and burning. No, that's not right. No, okay. It's good because he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Overcome evil with what? See, Christians believe that all human beings are made in the image of God. Did you know that? And that is regardless of their religion or even their irreligion. Most people in our culture believe that if there's a God, then we actually have to relate to him uh, and, and we, we go to heaven by simply leaving a, leading a really, really good life. But... Christianity teaches the opposite because Jesus doesn't tell us how we're supposed to live in such a way so that we can earn salvation. It doesn't. Rather, Jesus comes to this earth, he forgives us, and he saves us through his life and his death in our place taking our punishment. You see, God's grace comes to those who admit their failure to perform and who acknowledge that they simply need a Savior. And most religions and even most uh, life philosophies, they will assume that a person's spiritual status is dependent upon uh, what they have attained through religion or what they've earned through their life experiences. But we live in a different way. Because it's, it's, we live different, it's just simply because of our love for God and His love for us. Bible-based, Jesus-focused Christianity contains exclusive beliefs for us. And it leads us into humble peace-loving behaviors. You see more of the listings of these beliefs? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says this. Um, goes all the way through verse 21. Great chapter to read the whole thing, but I just want to take a portion of it. It says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And I just kind of broke this down. I took the liberty just to, to uh, make some bullet points out of the remainder of the, all these verses. Here, here's one. The first one is submit to people in authority. You submit to your governmental and law enforcement authorities, whether you like them or not. It's like, yeah, but, 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 no, 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 but, buts. 
This was written during the time of a guy in history known as Nero. Remember world history? Bad guy. Do good for others. That's Christianity. Live in freedom as a slave to Jesus. <laughs> that's Christianity. Show respect for only the people you like. Now, that's not Christianity, is it? I'm just making sure you're watching. Who do you show respect for? Everyone. How about this? Scripture tells us you're, you're supposed to work hard for your boss even if you don't like him. That stuff's in the Bible? Oh, yes, it is. That's what makes Christians different. See, these scriptures were actually written in early Christianity when these Christians were, were coming into walking in this new freedom of Jesus and they just started violating all the social order. What they started doing is they started mixing people of different races and classes and genders and, and what they were doing seemed absolutely scandalous to their culture. And in that society, uh, women, they had a very, very low status, but, and, and they were being subjected to higher levels of this of, uh, female infanticide, killing babies because they're, they're girls, forced marriages, and lack of economic equality. Yet, yet Christianity came along and gave a lot more social uh, um, uh, equality and gave security than had ever existed in the ancient classical world. Did you know that? During the urban plagues of the first and second century the christians were the ones who went out in the streets and cared for the sick and the dying often at the cost of their own lives so let me ask you this question why is such an exclusive belief system causing its followers to be so open to people who are different than themselves here's why it's because a man named Jesus died for his enemies and he prayed for their forgiveness. Jesus then departed this world only to give his spirit to us, allowing God to live in us so that we could continue making Jesus known. Jesus forgives us and Jesus loves us in spite of our ability to measure up. We can't win on our own. If you were to put three swimmers on the California coast and say, okay, you're going to swim to Hawaii. Uh, let's say one is an Olympic swimmer. That Olympic swimmer might be able to go 500 miles before she just eventually dies. Second swimmer might be a good swimmer, might get 25 miles out, but he dies. And the third swimmer, he, he may not even know how to swim very well. That's me. He swims one mile and then drowns and dies, okay? Now, would it be fair to say that the Olympic swimmer is 500 times better than the third swimmer? Who is more dead? Nobody gets to Hawaii based on their swimming ability. Can you make the connection? In fact, Jesus said, he told us something that really is profoundly simple. And I love it. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He, he tells us that we're supposed to love the Lord with all our hearts and all our souls and all our strength and we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves but I was reading that passage this last week and all of a sudden it hit me I don't even measure up to that I mean I miss the mark on this every single day we all fall short and see that's what Christians know and understand we know this is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by 
Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 23 and 24. Therefore, Christianity is an exclusive claim. But it is the most inclusive exclusive claim because Christianity wants you to exclusively believe in this man who died for his enemies and he asks you to love your enemies and care for them as well. Jesus even said it himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one can go to the Father except through me. So yeah, we're exclusive. There is only one way to God and that's through Jesus. Yet we are inclusive like no other religion because anyone can come. Nobody has to measure up in fact at city life we like to say this this church you can belong even before you believe so the message of jesus has in it these these deep resources for humility and respect and and if we grasp it correctly it's not going to lead to coercion or intolerance it won't if we really do what christianity says but here's my challenge to you it's up to me and it's up to you it's up to us Christians to prove the Christian assertion by how we live our lives. That's why we come to church. So, welcome to church. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can stay connected through Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we look forward to seeing you on Sunday.